there, I'm Leah Ben Miller, the worship leader of the local church, and you're listening to the local church podcast featuring the messages from our Sunday liturgy. The local church is a bold, inclusive faith community based in Chatham County, North Carolina, and our mantra is our mission, love where you are. We gather for affirming, anchoring, and empowering worship every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Woods Charter School and online via Facebook Live and YouTube. No matter where you find yourself physically, spiritually, or emotionally, you belong at the local church. And we're so glad you're here. Good morning. My name is Peggy, and our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 9, verse 51 through chapter 10, verse 12. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, on that day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. This is the word of God for all of God's creation. Thanks be to God. Will you, uh, will you ponder something with me this morning? I've had this nagging question for a while. Maybe you can help me out. Maybe you've had this question too. Does everyone really need a lawnmower? 
Like, like, do we really need, each need our own? Two disclaimers as we get into it. First, I own a lawnmower. Uh, and if I'm honest, at one point in my life, I owned two because a friend had moved out of state, couldn't take his with him, so he said, do you want this? And it was better than ours, so sure, yeah. And uh, so that was, that's what you call a collection at that point. And, and, and so I'm not throwing shade at anyone who also owns a lawnmower, uh, just to be clear. And the second disclaimer is that I actually haven't mowed the lawn in like three or four years. Uh, in our house, Natalie, my wife, does the mowing happily, I might add. Uh, she wants to do it, I think. Um, <laughs> take that, gender roles. But, but I mean, uh, uh, at most, at most, in the spring and in the summer, uh, what, we mow our lawn once a week. And at most, how long does it take? Like 30 minutes, an hour, max? That means the only reason that we would each need our own lawnmower is if we happened to all mow our lawns at the same time on the same day in the same week. Are you tracking with me, right? And yet somehow we have been convinced that everybody needs their own lawnmower. But do we really? And now here's the thing. This is not about lawnmowers. Maybe you figured that out already. This is not, this is not about lawnmowers. Not exclusively anyway. And I, I get that some people, especially in more rural or spread out areas, might actually need their own. For some people, it does make sense. But this is not really about lawnmowers. For me anyway, this is also about the books that line my shelves, many of which I haven't cracked it's about the binoculars that I bought for all of the times I was certain that I was going to go bird watching, look the part that happened once. The exercise equipment, collecting dust, the late night Instagram ad, impulse buys I can't even remember right now. This is me. Remember, no shade here, no shame. This is my story. And if I'm being honest, the question isn't really about whether everyone needs a lawnmower, if I really needed that thing Instagram made me buy. There are deeper questions, questions that arose because of today's scripture passage that Peggy read for us, and in particular, questions that arose because of the instructions that Jesus gives to the disciples, and those questions are, what do we need, really, and why? And now here's the thing, if I sit too long with these questions... I might not love the answers that I find. And instead, it's so much easier to just buy another book <laughs> or fall for another Instagram ad. But not today. Not today. We are going there. But first, I want to be sure to welcome you. My name is Brent. I have the great joy of serving as the pastor here at the local church. And uh, we hope for three things. Each and every time you connect with us in any way, we want you to feel affirmed, anchored, and empowered. That is, affirmed in your belovedness as the child of God that you are. Anchored in the good news that we share together each week. Empowered, then, to, uh, uh, to go into the world, taking your next faithful step on the way of Jesus, to love where you are for the sake of God's world. Affirmed, anchored, and empowered by God's grace. If it's your first time here with us this morning, a special welcome to you. We know how challenging that it can be to step into a church space for the first time. We work hard to honor the risk that you've taken. So feel free to be as visible or as anonymous as you need to be, but just know that we are glad you're here. We don't take your presence for granted. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, on no journey at all, you have a place here at the local church. We're more whole with you. 
We give God thanks for you. As we begin this morning, let's just be quiet for a moment. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Renew us this day, O God. Grant us the peace, the love, the belonging, whatever it is that that our hearts are really yearning for. Only you can. In the name of Jesus, amen. As you heard uh, Leah mention, today is the first Sunday in the season of Lent. For generations, inspired by Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness, Followers of Jesus have spent the 40 days before Easter in wilderness spaces of our own, preparing for the heartbreak and the hope of the cross and empty tomb. The word Lent actually comes from an old English word that means lengthen, referring to the lengthening of days that we experience as spring emerges. And y'all, we need Lent. This is why we pause and do what we do. We need Lent. You'll hear me say this a bunch over the next six weeks, but Lent is a sort of spring cleaning for our souls. I've heard Leah say the same. In the same way that rearranging the furniture in a room, cleaning off our desks, Marie Kondoing our closets can give us that feeling of renewal, of a fresh start. The same is true for Lent and our spiritual lives. It's in this season that we clean out the junk drawers of our hearts, freshen up our rhythms, reorganize our, pri- our priorities so that we might then be renewed, turn again toward love and to life, hope and possibility, and be made ready, be made ready for the joy of resurrection at Easter. I remember a year ago, uh, we were joined on the first Sunday of Lent by a retired bishop, Will Willimon, uh, who was here to preach. And he said something that, that stuck with me. He said this, Lent is the season in which the church finally gets honest. Lent is the season in which the church finally gets honest. And that feels so right. Lord knows we need it. In a world in which everywhere we turn, we're hit with fake news or artificial intelligence, misinformed opinions, brand-sponsored social media posts, disguised as reality. The truth can feel so elusive, can be hard to discern. So this is the gift of Lent. Before we can suss out the truth, we need the space to do so. We need the margin, the room to breathe, and that's what our Lenten series this year is all about. It's about giving us that space, freeing us to do that good work on the way of Jesus. And it's a series that we're calling Fast. Fast. Practices for a slow Lent and a spacious life. Fast. On the one hand, the series names an intention. It's an adjective, right? Since last fall, we've been on a slow roll, a slog, some might say, through the Gospel of Luke, moving at a snail's pace, at the, uh, at, at the pace of Jesus, the pace of love. And uh, as of last week, remember, we've been going through since September. As of last week, we made it to chapter 9. Woo! But 
But if in, if in six short weeks we're going to make it all the way to the cross and to the resurrection, which are in chapters 23 and 24 of Luke, uh, we're going to have to seriously pick up the pace a little bit. So that's one way of understanding the word fast. But the word fast also, uh, you may know, is a verb, as in fasting from food. Maybe you've fasted before you had lab work done. Maybe you've practiced intermittent fasting for your health. Uh, but fasting is actually an ancient spiritual practice found in just about every religion. In the Bible, you'll find it prescribed and practiced by many. Moses, Jonah, Elijah, the ancient Jewish tradition, fasting served two main purposes. The first was to express repentance, acknowledgement of the ways that uh, they had turned from God. And uh, the second was as sort of internal preparation, often before a mission. So one of repentance and one of preparation. Uh, throughout Christian history, followers of Jesus have, as well have taken up the practice of fasting. Uh, John Wesley, for instance, the founder of Methodism, uh, fasted from food every week on Wednesdays and Fridays. John Calvin, uh, the great reformer, regularly fasted too. And until recently, really, fasting has been a regular discipline, uh, part of the Christian life. Just as Jesus fasted in the wilderness for 40 days, fasting has often been a practice associated with the season of Lent. This is why many followers of Jesus will take on a certain fasting practice or give something up for Lent during the season. Uh, I remember growing up one year, I fasted from French fries. Another was sugar. Uh, but neither of these, if we're being honest, really got to the true purpose of fasting. Because Lent... Uh, isn't necessarily a second chance on our New Year's resolutions, right? It's not about achieving any sort of personal goal or, or uh, achieving anything, really. Instead, I love how the late preacher James Earl Massey describes it. He says, fasting is not a renunciation of life. It is a means by which new life is released within us. Fasting is not a renunciation of life. It is means by which new life is released within us. In other words, fasting is not about deprivation as much as it is about preparation to experience the fullness of life that God has for us. At its best, fasting is about getting rid of the things that have clogged our lives, clearing space, making room so that we might be better attuned to the spirit of God in us and among us and beyond us even, not only for our sake, but for the sake of this world. In other words, fasting uh, not, not about deprivation, but preparation. And, but, but here's the thing. Um, I, know, I know that for many of us, fasting can sound scary. It can be complex, especially today. For some, there's an abundance of food around us. And for others, uh, patterns of disordered eating uh, make this a challenging and perhaps even harmful idea. Uh, others still live in food deserts where affordable, healthy food is scarce. But there are all kinds of ways to uh, fast beyond fasting from food. And it's those fasts, those particular fasts, that we're going to be exploring as a community over the next six weeks throughout this series. Each week, we're going to introduce a different kind of fast. A fast from something non-traditional, perhaps surprising, maybe something you haven't thought about fasting from. Uh, uh, things that feel compulsive, things that feel uh, less than life-giving. Things that get in the way of connection with God, of relationship with others, of abundant life. We're going to invite you, one another, into these fasts, which will in turn 
lead us to then embrace something new toward a spacious life of connection, meaning, and wholeness. So that's our series, Fast Practices for a Slow Lent and a Spacious Life. Longest series setup ever. I get it. And there's so much more to say, but we have six weeks. And really today, we're just laying a foundation here. So let's get into it. This week, we're talking about fasting from consumption. Fasting from consumption. Last Sunday, we heard the story of transfiguration. Marks a turning point in the story. Jesus has been traveling from place to place, preaching liberation and deliverance and jubilee, then actually making it real. But after he comes down the mountain, Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem, to what awaits him there, betrayal, arrest, sentencing, death. It's like locking in your destination in Google Maps as you set out on a trip. This is where the road is heading. And this is actually why Leah and I planned for our Lent series to begin here, at this major turning point in Luke where Jesus changes course because over these next 40 days, we're journeying with Jesus to Jerusalem to and through the cross and the empty tomb. And even as he goes, the mission of God continues. And that's where we pick up the story today. So to continue this mission, Jesus appoints 72 to be about that work, sending each of them in pairs to every town and place where Jesus intends to go. For the Jewish reader, for the Jewish hearer, uh, this number 72 might make ears perk up. A little foreshadowing here from Luke in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible in the Old Testament. The number of nations in the world is 72. And so here again, as has been true throughout Luke's gospel, Luke's hinting that the good news of Jesus, his mission of Jubilee, isn't intended exclusively for the Jewish people, but it's for all the world, Gentiles too. And so, as Jesus prepares to send the 72, he offers some really encouraging words like these. Go on your way. I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. No. In other words... It'll be fine. You'll, you'll do great, y'all. But uh, I'm kidding. But, but what Jesus is really getting at here is that the struggle is real. Jesus' followers, uh, as, as, as Jesus' followers, as those sent by Jesus, uh, they need to know that the road ahead is fraught, just as is true for Jesus himself. As we'll see in about six weeks, the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. It's not a cakewalk by any means. And so then, after this incredible motivational speech, similar to one I'm sure Travis Kelsey gave in the locker room the night before the Super Bowl, Jesus provides the 72 with some further instructions, uh, and they're similar to the ones that he gave the 12 apostles just a chapter earlier. He says, carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. I don't know if you've ever been on a trip. I have. Um, and when I do, I will usually carry at least a bag. I'll carry at least a pair of shoes, maybe even a change of clothes, a toothbrush, at least. But Jesus tells them not to. Instead, he instructs the 72 to carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, nothing. Isn't that interesting? Last November, 
I traveled to Richmond to celebrate and co-officiate Rajiv and Allison's wedding. Rajiv, who leads our youth for us and has been around uh, for many years. Uh, And instead of taking nothing, uh, I packed my things, loaded up, drove the three-ish hours to Richmond, and I was sure that I had thought of everything. I had my iPad for the ceremony, clothes for each day we'd be gone. I even remembered my deodorant, which I often forget. Um, But right as I pulled into the driveway of Natalie's parents' house, where we were staying uh, during our time there, uh, I had this sinking feeling that there were at least two things that I had forgotten. First, socks. Second, my clergy robe that I needed for the ceremony. I was so angry. I was kicking myself, trying to problem solve in my head. The only alternative as I saw it was to uh, drop Natalie and the kids off, turn around, drive the three hours back, and then, uh, and then return. When I floated that idea, everyone looked at me like I had lost my mind. Ask my dad for socks, Natalie said. Can, can someone who's coming to the wedding pick up your clergy robe and bring it with them when they come? I didn't like either of these options, and that's an understatement. Maybe you've been in a similar situation, uh, and here's why. Each of these solutions required me to be human. Each of these solutions required me to be human, to be vulnerable, to admit that I can't do it all, that I don't have it all, to come face to face with the reality that I need help. This was hard to stomach, in part because we live in a world that does everything it can to convince us that just the opposite is true, that we can do it all, that we can have it all, that we deserve it all. I mean, think about it. Productivity apps promise to make us more efficient so that we can get more done in less time. Online courses and LinkedIn gurus will help us unlock our hidden potential multiply our earnings, and leave the competition in the dust. Exercise regimens will add years to your life. Countless products from skin creams to protein powders promise to make us look and feel younger. Turn back the clock, and and until you eat this food, or drink this beverage, or drive this car, or wear this brand, you cannot experience real pleasure. And if you need a pick-me-up, None of these can fill your void. You can escape simply by swiping up again and again and again and again. And whatever you do, don't look up because you might see how this overconsumption is affecting the marginalized, the poor, the climate. We're bombarded with these messages each and every day. Each and every day we're seduced into consumption and overconsumption with a singular but sinister mission to convince us that we are more than human, to convince us that we are limitless, that we can get out of life alive. Because when this is true, when we're limitless, more than human, there's no such thing as enough. There's always room for more, more striving, more wealth, more power, more status. Who has need then for God when we're told in countless ways that 
we're already gods. If you remember in Genesis, this is the nature of the fall. But Lent is the season in which the church finally gets honest. And so we need to be honest about the fact that we are human, that we are creature, that we're finite, that we're limited. But when this truth is hard to swallow, and when it's uncomfortable to just sit and be still with this reality, when we come face to face with these limits, we often just consume some more. We doom scroll. We add to cart. We upgrade. We hit play. We swipe right. We turn up the volume. We consume more of what ultimately consumes us. And perhaps this is why Jesus tells the 72 to take nothing. It's hard for us to fathom this reality when our lives are often so shaped by fullness, if not overstimulation, abundance, if not excess. So what's the deal? Here's what Jesus says just a few verses later. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you, cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, Go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, will wipe, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. Twice in that section, did you hear it? You hear Jesus offer this truth. The kingdom of God has come near. And here's the thing. Here's what we know. Here's what we know. Here is the truth. The church being honest. The kingdom of God is manifest in hospitality, in mutuality, in interdependence, in compassion, in justice. And we know also that there is no room for fierce, superhuman, I can do it all on my own independence in God's kingdom. They're mutually exclusive. And so what we discover then is that when Jesus sends them with nothing but their limited, finite humanity and a little faith in their heart, they're to offer peace when they're invited in. They're to eat what is set before them. In other words, they're sent with nothing such that in their vulnerability and humanity, they might be more open to experiencing the kingdom of God through the hospitality, the invitation the compassion, the food set before them, the love that they receive along the way, dependent on the grace of God to give them what they really need, what they truly hunger for, connection, liberation, belonging, wholeness, the life that really is life. The kingdom of God has come near indeed, and this is good news. Last November, no part of me wanted to ask my father-in-law to borrow his socks. <laughs> no part of me wanted to make the call to ask somebody to break into my house and maneuver through my bedroom into my closet, grab my clergy robe. And yet, when I was forced to swallow my pride and confront my human limitations, I was met with compassion. I found understanding and empathy. I found friends jumping at the chance to help. I found grace. The kingdom of God had come near. And that's just it. To fast from consumption is to let go of that which doesn't satisfy our deepest hunger such that we create space for more of what does. 
So often we fill our lives, our hearts, our minds, our souls with the things we do as a way of avoiding the truth that we are human, that we are dependent on God, on one another. And these things we consume so often end up consuming us. It's by design. They obstruct the beauty, the goodness, the grace that God has for us that meet our deepest yearnings. Belonging, connection, love, peace. I love how St. Augustine puts it. God is always trying to give good things to us, but our hands are too full to receive them. This morning, these are the questions, the real questions that are before us. What are your hands filled with? What fills your hands? What is it that you truly hunger for in this season? Amen. If you love what you hear, share this episode or send it to someone who could use a little good news this week. We'd also love for you to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It's an easy way to share the love. You can learn more about the local church at our website, growlocal.church, or just come see us one week. Thanks for listening and love where you are.